VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill After, The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. Wrestling with History Worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. And that's right, I say worldwide every week, but I really mean it this week because we've now topped the charts in three different countries. First, Nigeria, then China, and just this past week, the number one wrestling podcast in the country of India. That's right, Wrestling with History, Bill After, Ken Resnick. Guys, we are number one in uh, the large, large country of India. We, we're, we go big. India and China are massive. Wow. And you mentioned Nigeria. Yeah. Uh, Apollo Crews right now has sparked interest in pro wrestling in that country. So we might be able to, when the COVID thing calms down, maybe we can tour India yeah, and sure. Nigeria. And uh, where else did you say? China? China. Maybe we can go on a, uh, a VOC Wrestling Nation Network tour. What do you think, Ken? Well, I think we should be honest with our audience. The majority of this week, not talking about any foreign tours, but we were speculating if the three of us are ever able to get together based on our ratings, if we're going to go, you know, order Chinese food, India food, Indian food, or Nigerian food. You know, and and that's why he's a legend maker, because he took the discussion (laughs) about what kind of food we should get if we ever get together into an international tour. So wait a minute. If we went for Chinese food, Bruce, what would you order? (laughs) Oh, I get the Singapore rice noodles with sweet and sour chicken and my egg roll. Always. What about you, Ken? Uh, Chicken egg roll, chicken egg foo young and uh, probably pad thai chicken. See, and I'm old school. I go with the combination plates, number one, chicken chow mein, egg roll, and fried rice. There we go. Well, because of the last two, we're going to have to eat Chinese food in India. And we thank all of our Indian fans, all of our Chinese fans, all of our Nigerian fans, and all of you uh, in America and United Kingdom, Canada. We appreciate everybody. Keep getting us up on those iTunes charts. Rate and review us, too, while you're in there. That really helps us to grow. Wrestling with History. This week, guys, we're going to talk about the one and only, the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant. And both of you had a lot of experience with Andre, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. We'll have some fun. Uh, Before we do anything else, I've been saying this week after week. I just want to read some of the feedback that we're getting on this show uh, from the last couple of weeks. Listen, if you are 
not nice in your feedback about any one of our hosts, I'm not going to read it. So don't even bother sending it. Just goes right. There are people trash. out there who are not nice about the hosts of this show. Not this show, but of, of other shows. And oh, I don't like it. That's no BS. You're right. <laughs> well, why would we be talking about comments that were not about our show in the first place? So yeah, right. want to be not nice about other shows. Bill, Bill and I are fine with that. You yeah, know, let's no leave, Ken. Ken, let's leave. Come on. <laughs> no. <All right. laughs> Here we go. This, uh, this is from uh, Nuts and Voles PW. And this is uh, related to our announcement of being number one in India. That is Travis Fultz. He just had his birthday last week. He's Happy a, birthday, Travis. Yeah, Travis used to uh, write stuff for OneWrestling.com back in the day, and he's one of the nicest fans in the entire world. Well, well maybe, Bill, maybe you should withhold that comment till we hear what his comment was. I didn't think of that. <laughs> he says, who is this after guy? <laughs> now, tra Travis says who are these folks listening to years old Steve Austin episodes because that was uh, you know my my post on Twitter was after a couple days as number one in India we uh, were moved down a couple slots Steve Austin's podcast beat us and Steve Austin's podcast on the podcast one network hasn't run for what Bill is it six or seven years he's he's been off of that network that's the bottom line son crazy we, 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 we don't know playing devil's advocate how long that network has been available in India number one so this could be all new content to them and number two I mean you're Bill Apter, you're Bruce Wirt, I'm Ken Resnick, but he's stone cold. There you go. <laughs> They'd rather hear years old Austin stuff than our new stuff. Who, who would have ever guessed? I got a lot of Austin stories that one week we need to do Steve Austin. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I think that'd be cool. Um, all right. Stephen Generelli says, very cool to hear Ken Resnick talk about the great Bruno Sammartino. Very simple, right? That's how we start starting. Well, and that comment was from whom? Steve G Generelli. I probably what shouldn't read great, his last name. What, what great introspective he has. I'll tell you that. What, what an awesome judge of character. Uh, another Steve, Steve Warren says, Nick Bockwinkle was very loyal and Vern made sure Nick was paid well. Also, the travel was brutal for the NWA champion. Uh, and guys, we kind of talked about that. Travel as the NWA champion was brutal. I think this is in relation uh, to Nick Bockwinkle not jumping to the WWE. Yeah, but the, the NWA, uh, a guy would be in St. Louis one night and the next night he's in Tokyo, Japan. The next night... He's in Nigeria, China, or India. So, yeah. Yep. And if, if they missed it, we were talking about it. In, in the AWA, generally, the guys would be home. Uh, they pretty much ran shows Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And they you know, would be back home Monday. We would do interviews on Tuesdays. So they were generally you know, home three days for sure a week. Sometimes they didn't leave, you know, till till Friday. But that was the 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 biggest thing that the AWA had to offer versus the NWA and certainly WWF was just being at home and time off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, th I think Steve was talking about not just Nick not jumping to the WWF, but maybe not jumping to the AWA as well, right? 
Uh, all right, creature. Well, was, up. Wait, wait, wait. He was in the AWA. No, I know. I'm saying not, not jumping to the NWA. Oh, I thought you said AWA. No, he stayed in the AWA. The ears here. Getting old, Bill. You're getting old. No, I'm not getting old. 45 is, is, uh, come on. VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill After, The Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. Creature of the night. Uh, and this is, uh, these comments are all from the, uh, the Bobby Heenan. These comments are all from the last week's episode on Harley Race. Uh, it says, that's a great point about Bobby Heenan. The guy knew exactly what role to play to get things over. When he was a manager, he was a big talker who took it all seriously. When he was a wrestler, he was a complete coward. When he was an announcer, he was a comedian. I genuinely rate him as one of the best all-around wrestling talents ever. And if you listen to anything that I've said over the last 12 years, I say that Bobby Heenan is, without Bobby Heenan, Hulkamania would not have been what it was. Uh, that's an interesting thing that you just said. Uh, I think Bobby Heenan led... Uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, credence to Hulk Hogan's career, Hulkamania and all that. There were a lot of elements going into that, but yeah, Heenan just, uh, Hogan worked right, right with Heenan. They were perfect opposites. Yeah, Heenan had, had the challenger most of the time to Hogan in, in those main events in yep, a lot of those yeah, cities. Yeah. Ken, I think this, this comment was in relation to your comments about Bobby Heenan being working a very serious role in the AWA before he jumped to WWF. Yeah, I, I mean, Bobby was one of those, as you both pointed out, he adapted to everything. But, you know, he, he had so much respect for the business like you know, uh, Bill pointed out when he was wrestling, he played the the ultimate coward, yep. you know, in the ring. Uh, but when he would do interviews, you know, whether it was for Nick Bockwinkel, for Harley Race, you know, for Andre, Bobby was totally serious and you know I, I i think it was a number of shows ago bruce i know you and i talked about it bill and i had said one of the unique things about bobby heenan if you look at his interviews when you know when, when he was advocating you know for whoever was part of the heenan family talking about their upcoming match within the interview bobby always found a way to put over the opponent as well. That's a right. lot of managers didn't do that, but that's just the brilliance of Bobby Heenan, the respect Bobby had for the business and the respect and admiration for all the talent combined. And, mm -hmm. and that's one thing that, uh, you know, you can argue who, who was a better manager in this. And Bruce, I completely agree. If you, if you factor in, announcing, interviews, skills, in-ring 
talent, a, ability to, to create storylines, knowing when to take shots. But if you look at Bobby, he never really went too far. He didn't really take any sort of personal or, or cheap shots. I mean, he, he was the, the ultimate manager with respect to the business to whoever he was managing and to whoever the opponent was. And he also wore a hell of a toga at WrestleMania at Caesar's <laughs> Palace. Think about the main events um, that dominated 86, 87, 85, 86, 87, with respect to the, the, the heyday of WWE. You had uh, Bobby Heenan managing King Kong Bundy for WrestleMania II, yeah. Paul Orndorff, and who worked with Hogan for most of 86 and, and into 87. And then uh, Andre the Giant, of course, for WrestleMania three and beyond all the way into, um, you know, I guess most of the way through 88. So uh, very, very significant part of that Hulkamania run. Sure. The initial one was Bobby. Hina. Bobby was yeah. also very, he, he played the cowards so well. He'd be in six man tag teams match with uh Blackjack Mulligan, Blackjack Lonza, and Heenan would, and he would run. I mean, he and the fans just wanted to see him killed. He was a he was a, a great coward, right, Ken? Yeah, I, I mean, he was. And, and to go back, Bruce, what you just mentioned, if you think about it, you know, Vern saw it, Vince saw it, that most times managers are usually given to great in ring talent that aren't so good talkers, aren't mm -hmm. so good on the interviews. But as, as you mentioned, I mean, King Kong Bundy, Paul Orndorff, Harley Race, they were all great talkers. Yeah. But Vern realized, as was Nick Bockwinkle, a, a great talker. But Vern realized and Vince realized that rather than use Bami to enhance someone that wasn't that good, putting them and pairing them with Bobby made the good ones even greater. That's right. When, when Vince, Bobby, when Vince, tried, when Vince was making sports entertainment, Heenan was one of the first naturals that Vince brought in. He was perfect for that model. And Bobby could also go behind the microphone and carry on the work. It wasn't just when he was at ringside or doing a promo. He was behind the microphone, and it was really getting that angle over all the time and his people. A great comment by Creature of the Night. Chip McFetter says, and he quotes, so he, in, this is in respect to Harley Race, I think Bill said it. He was one of the people in the lineage of Dory Funk Jr., Jack Briscoe, that made the belt totally respectable. Quotes that and then goes on to say, Bret Hart takes a lot of heat for how he took the title seriously, but he was following a tradition. Once upon a time, being a world champ meant something. As a legendary promoter's son, you would expect that. Meanwhile, some of his fiercest critics like Scott Hall and various members of the clique came from a newer generation where wrestling was mostly just a way to make money and be famous. As a fan, and Chip, thank you for the novel here. As a fan, I'm somewhere in the middle. I appreciate the old timers for the way they respect the business, but I also believe that change is necessary for any industry to survive. And he goes on to say something very not nice about Scott Hall. Um, guys, 
is we've seen the evolution or de-evolution of how the importance of championships are, but I, I don't know, to me, it's not probably like it was back in the day of Harley race, but it still means something to be a WWE or an AEW champion, right? Depends who it is. Sometimes the, the belt, like for example, when you put the belt on someone like Drew McIntyre, uh, he's a fabulous champion. He's a fighting type of champion. He goes back to that old school mold. He can, uh, he looks like a champion in the ring. He works like a champion. So it depends who it is. Bobby Lashley, the same thing. Why well, say Bobby, Bobby Lashley come out with that belt? He looks like the prototype of what a professional wrestler looks like. And when he gets in the ring, there's no shtick. There's the same thing like with Drew McIntyre. He wrestles in the ring. So yeah, that the belt means something when it's on someone in this era that looks like that and works like that in the ring. And, and I think a big part of it too, uh, in that champions just mean a little less. Uh, certainly a great part, as Bill points out, is, is on who's wearing or, or carrying the belt. But a lot of it too is on promoters. When you go back and, and you know talk about Harley, talk about Nick, talk about Bret Hart, remember that was the championship belt. I mean, you know, in my years in WWF, we had the heavyweight champion of the world. And then, you know, we had the intercontinental champion. But those were the belts. Part of it today, I think you're seeing some wrestlers take it less serious. I mean, in, in WWF, there's the Raw champion, the SmackDown champion, the Universal champion, <laughs> the United States champion. Uh, Intercontinental. The, the 24-7, you know, champion. My favorite belt. I mean, it, it's... Like to, win it. to me, and you know, even outs, and I you know, <laughs> run into fans that that get very you know upset, and sometimes they're a little taken back. That you know, I, I'm not in the you know back in the day. It was certainly the kayfabe era, and even after the kayfabe era, it was still wrestling. Now it's more entertainment, and, and it's just like. You know, I was talking to someone the other day and, and asking me about it. And the, the analogy I gave them, it's, you know what? I, I like movies. I, I, I like drama. I, I like action. I like if it's a good intellectual type comedy. I'm not big into horror shows. That's never been my thing. But I don't get upset with anyone if they like horror movies. I mean, it's you just, know what? You know what? wrestling then and it's entertainment now. It's just different. There's another thing that's different. When I was growing up as a wrestling fan, the wrestlers had the belts. When you saw Bruno with his belt, when you saw Nick Bockwinkel, when you saw Harley Race or Ric Flair, you weren't able to buy a belt yeah. in, a, in, in a toy store yeah. for $24. So to me, the value of that belt was you really had to be a champion. You don't see boxing belts out there. You don't see MMA belts out there. There was a value to that that you know, kids made their own belts back then out of cardboard or whatever, but you weren't able to get a, a, a prototype of a belt like that. So to me, that, that took, and plus the, the titles change hands so much. 
you know, you have people again like Bruno and even Flair, Harley, any of Nick Bakuil, they held these titles for years. Yep. It was something who's going to beat this guy. But in modern day, it's like every two weeks. Oh, somebody took the title. Actually, in today's sports entertainment, two weeks is kind of a long title run. Right, right. Well, he held the title for 14 days, a record. I mean, if you think about it, and it's just, again, it's it, it, it's the entertainment value. But I, there's been shows when like the 24-7 title changed hands like four times in a couple hours. I'll tell you something. I, I know we're getting a little off topic here with Andre, but watching Monday Night Raw, we're taping this on uh, on Tuesday, the 23rd of March, watching Monday Night Raw for the first time in years when I saw Randy Orton and Alexa Bliss come into the ring and the burnt vision of the fiend, I said, I'm channel turning. And I don't <laughs> know what, I didn't want to see this giant French fried potato and it just... Randy Orton throwing up black stuff. They've taken sports entertainment a little too far for me. And Randy Orton shouldn't be involved. Yeah, I, I, two, two things I, I, I can add to that. To, to me, um, certainly if you look at the entire WWE roster in terms of promo ability, you know, in-ring ability, believability, Randy Orton is certainly at the at the top of the list. Maybe not the top, but certainly the top three or four to me, anyways, in yeah, all of too. WWE. And, and I go, why are they taking someone that still had the belie believability and in, in, involving him in this cartoonish entertainment? I I don't understand that. Yeah. And I will say, you guys will be shocked, but. Uh, I actually watched most of Fastlane on Sunday night. I watched the whole thing. Because I have uh, Xfinity, and they sent an email out that they were making Fastlane available to everyone at, at no charge. Yeah. And while I always sing the, the praises of the athleticism of, of today's talent, and granted, I look at it a little differently, but I tried to watch the, the pay-per-view as a fan who was maybe excited about seeing a pay-per-view for free, maybe the first time. And, and Bill, if you watch the whole thing, what I my big takeaway was, if I was just a casual wrestling fan getting a chance to, to watch that pay-per-view for free, there was nothing I saw in that pay-per-view that would make me want to buy the next pay-per-view. You mean even the magnificent Drew McIntyre uh, battle there? I thought that was fabulous. I, it was a good match, but just everything, you know, in, involved and, and the outside, you know, interference and everything, It it's like in the old days, you know, you would kind of go away from an entire pay-per-view and basically go, you know, wow. All right, uh, let me ask you both, let me ask you both a loaded question, okay? Andre the Giant, if he was alive today and in good shape, what do you think they would have done in this era of sports entertainment with him? Because now it's a different thing. You know, Andre wrestled for a while, but now the business has changed so much. It's gone so far over to sports entertainment. What do you guys think that 
uh, WWE would have done with uh, the Andre that was uh, what before the Hogan Andre, the Andre that was uh, uh, in the early 80s when he met, met Hogan, you know, early on. I mean, when I had the chance to work with him a little bit in the AWA and then in WWF, I, my answer is not anything I even want to think about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he could he could be another colleague. I mean, I, I think that Andre was in the right generation for what he was because, uh, I mean, you just look at the big show. And I mean, it's where I was going as devastating and, and dominating as he first was, I mean, you just knew that he was, he wasn't a believable champion. I mean, you knew he was never going to be anything more than transitional. They made him into a comedy act and, and it's just disappointing. And Andre would have been the same way. I agree a hundred percent. I think Andre would have been uh, insulted a lot. I think he would have been uh, somebody like big show just to get people over. But again, you know, big show his last few months there, whenever he came in, they insulted him on TV. Yeah, they really did. Let, yeah. let me, you know, throw this out. And I know we're taking comments and, you know, uh, kind of going off topic, but I think it, it, it's interesting. Let me ask the two of you playing kind of, you know, judge advocate here. What kind of talent or champion or push do you think? Big Show would have been if he would have come along, you know, like in the 80s, early 90s, where it was still wrestling versus sports entertainment. Well, I monster. think, yeah, yeah I think they would have marketed him as a, as a monster. WCW tried to do that, if you remember correctly, when he had the long hair and they pushed him off a building. That was really believable. Um but no, I think they definitely would have made him, uh, yeah, into a monster. I mean, attraction, right? What's that? An attraction too, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and not overused. Yeah. See, Vince back in those days didn't overuse a lot of the talent like they do today. Right now, because of COVID, you know, it, it, the rosters are down, uh, pretty thin. Where you're seeing the same people yeah. all the time. But if you Big Show, um, I think would have been a an excellent feud for the earlier life of Andre the Giant, too. I think that would have been like a, a, a the Battle of the Behemoths. Vince well, goes, yeah, the yeah, Battle yeah. of the Behemoths. You know, like a, a kind of a big John Studd type. Yeah. I mean, More know. athletic John Studd. Yeah. Yep. yeah. John um, Studd was pretty athletic. Oh, yeah. Well, John Studd is going to come up. Let's uh, let's take a break. We'll come back. I got some more stuff to read. We'll try to get to some more uh, more of your comments at the end of the show. If not, um, keep sending them in. We'll get to them over the next couple of weeks. We'll pr I promise we will do a better job to, to read the feedback. We haven't been very good at it. Uh, make sure to follow us on VOC, follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Follow Bill at After One Wrestling. And uh, remember our our premium channel is coming up very, very soon. So yeah. in uh, just a couple of days, you'll be able to sign up at premium.vocnation.com. So keep checking. We'll post on Twitter when we're going to take signups and you get lots of exclusive content, not only from Bill Apter with his uh, audio library archives, but um, all of our shows, full video, 
uh, podcasts, and there's a lot of stuff that we have planned for that. So keep checking back. The prices start at just $3 a month, so you can't beat it. And there's going to be uh, a time that fans will be able to interact with all of us. Yeah, in the $15 tier, once a quarter, we're going to have kind of like a, a group lunch or breakfast yeah, where uh, you'll be able to gather around and it'll just be open forum questions for some of our hosts. And our hosts include Bill and Ken, Shelly Martinez, who was Ariel in WW, WWE and uh, Salinas and TNA, part of LAX. Wes Briscoe, part of the legendary Briscoe family. Ken? No, I, I got a question when you when you're finished. Brady Hicks, Man, Brady Hicks Illustrated. from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, yeah. the legendary Brady Hicks, yeah. Manny Fernandez, uh, of course, and uh, uh, the newest member of the team is uh, Jerry Strauss, who's the brother of Robbie E. So, um, all good stuff on coming to that premium channel. Go ahead, Ken. What was your question? Well, if, if we're gonna have like this this group breakfast or lunch, does this mean? Vok via DoorDash is going to send like Bill and I either breakfast or lunch. Oh, I like that idea. That's Don't good. Don't go yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> there goes the budget. We'll be back on the other side. Wrestling with history worldwide in the VOC Nation radio network. Oh, no. VOC Nation Wrestling Network. I'll do that once, uh, once every month or so from now yeah, on. Yeah. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. All right, back here, Wrestling With History Worldwide and the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. And nobody will actually see or hear this, but we just had a massive technical difficulty where I went completely offline, had to reboot. But you won't get that 15 minutes of, uh, of our lives that we'll never get back. No, but you look better rebooted. I look better well, rebooted. You did? You know, one of those rarities where the technical issue was not yours or mine. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. It's proof that it can happen to anybody. Guys, Andre Rene Rusimov, Andre the Giant, born the 19th of May, 1946, died the 27th of January, 1993. And we're not going to do a, uh, a biopic of uh, Andre the Giant. We're going to tell some stories about how you guys interacted with Andre and um, just some some stories from the road. And that's what we do here on this show. Bill, when's the first time that you met the late, great Andre the Giant, the first WWE Hall of Famer? All right. So Andre the Giant, when I first saw him, before I saw him in person, he was wrestling under the name Jean Ferret. 
in the Montreal area. And our photographer, Tony Lanza, used to send pictures of him uh, with girls on his shoulders and midgets on his shoulders and his great matches against another giant who was a little shorter than Andre, Don Leo Jonathan, which by the way, on our premium channel, somewhere in the next few months, I will have an exclusive audio interview I did with him way, way, way back. $3 a month. That's it. Just $3. Yes. Yes. So, uh, and I get $1.50 out of that for the interview, right? Ken gets the other $2. That's right. That's as well. Anyway. If it's $3 a month and Bill gets a dollar and a half for the interview, where do you come up with, I'm getting $2 because the other two. he's I'm never been good at math. University math, $1.50 and $2 is $3.50, which is 50 cents more than anybody has to pay. So I'm confused. And now you see why my wife doesn't like VOC Nation. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so uh, Andre. I think what Mr. that means, not to interrupt, when we have that breakfast or lunch meeting, we got no shot of getting any food. Now I'll have French food. So Mr. Weston, my mentor and the person who hired me to be in this uh, career, uh, had written a story like he did with Bruno Sammartino and Mil Mascaris. He wrote a story about Andre the Giant, which everybody read. This is your life, Andre the Giant. And I thought the story was legit. So Andre came to New York early on and his road manager was Frank Valois. And when I was growing up as a kid, Frank and Pierre Valois, who weren't real brothers, were wrestling uh, every week in Vince McMahon Sr.'s territory at Sunnyside Garden, and they were on TV. So when I first met Andre, uh, Frank made like Andre didn't understand or speak English. And then I said to Frank, and I've run this audio interview years and years ago, and we can, we'll run it again on, the, uh, uh, on our premium site. Uh, Frank told Andre that uh, I came from the company that wrote his life story. Andre looked at me, and I'm going to use a word here that you might want to bleep out. And Andre looked at me, and in this husky voice says, who wrote that bullshit? And I said, what BS are you talking about? And he said, you said Carpentier discovered me when a big tree fall in the woods. And I picked the tree up, and he was able to pass. Who wrote that bullshit? And I said, well, that was my, my boss. And he was very angry. And then I didn't know how to turn that around immediately until I thought of this lady wrestler in Australia who I lived with for several years by the name of Susan Sexton. She was my best friend. She and Andre were like best friends. I remember and, her from the magazines. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I said to him, I said, that's before I started here. By the way, regards from Sue Sexton. Oh, Susie says hello. And that changed the whole mode. From then on in, uh, Andre, Andre was extremely friendly to me because I was able to put myself over because I was friendly with her. But if Andre, Andre liked me, there was a state athletic commission. His name was commissioner. His name was Barry. For some reason, Andre didn't like him. And anytime I would go to Madison Square Garden and walk around with Barry, the state athletic commissioner. And I wanted to talk to Andre. He would pull me on the side. He says, I will talk to you, but I don't like him. It's very, he had a very scary, if he liked you, 
you made it many times at the airports when I was traveling to different cities. If he was there, he would bring me into the like Delta, um, the Delta lounge that regular fans couldn't get into. But the one story that I'll never forget with Andre was in New Orleans at Pat O'Brien's restaurant. Ken or Bruce, had either of you ever been there? A hurricane, uh, a yeah, or five there. <laughs> okay, so all the wrestlers used to go there after the shows that Bill Watts ran. There were about 12 wrestlers. On the end of one of the ends of the table was Harley Race, who was known to drink more beer than any wrestler in the world. On the other side was Andre, and they kept challenging each other to drink beer. And Andre, must have been 65, 70 things. Andre drank more than Harley just said, that's it, I'm not having any more tonight. Andre went and I remember him going to the men's room for about 20 minutes. And I said, are you okay, you sick? I had to get rid of it so I couldn't drink 60 more. (laughs) I love that story. He was was always very very nice to me. And uh, he was... um, if he liked you again, you had a friend for life. But he had one that, when he came to New York for the first time with Frank Valois was the first time. I, what about you, Ken? Uh, well, the first time I met uh, Andre was I was doing in the AWA, and he came in to just do kind of run the the territory for a battle for battle royals. Um, so you know, I was introduced to him. You know, he understood I was doing uh, the interviews. We kind of did uh, one, uh, even though back then the interviews were all market specific, we did one kind of general interview with Andre talking about the big upcoming battle royal here in town and then put that in, in all the markets. Um, you know, I, I never had, a, I, I, Andre had no reason to, to dislike me. Um, always got along fine. And then uh, I saw him again, of course, uh, when I went to uh, WWF. Um, after one of the matches, the cards here in St. Paul, uh, a bunch of us went out to dinner to a restaurant called Mancini's. Uh, it was close to the St. Paul Civic Center. You've been there, I'm sure, Bill. Yes, I have. Uh, we kind of went in the back. And, and it was funny. You know, I mean, Andre was just so huge. Uh, you know, he would take a, like a, a beer bottle, literally in his thumb and forefinger, everybody else would need their whole hand. He would just take it as, you know, fingers and, and, and limbs were so big and just, you know, down it. But the, the funniest thing was Andre would have, you know, bottles of wine, like uh, any one of the three of us would have bottles of water. Oh it, yeah. Wine it, and it, beer. He, he loved it. But Ken, were you in the WWF when they ran the angle? Andre was suspended by Jack Tunney, and um, he came back, and Bobby Heenan was, you know, involved in his suspension getting lifted. Didn't I, I swear that I saw you doing some market interviews with Andre where he, because he played that game where he wouldn't talk about it. Oh, yeah. In fact, somebody put it on my Facebook page a while back. I, I had forgot, you know, even when things were just fine, there wasn't some angle he didn't want to talk about. You know, Andre was not a great talker on, on interviews. Uh, and somebody uh, dug it up off YouTube or whatever, posted it where you know, I go into this long question, you know, part A, part B, and throw it to Andre and he'd go, 
Yes. <laughs> that was it. I mean, the whole interview was, was him, you know, one word answers. But I also was with uh, Andre when he came back as one of the machines. Oh, that was amazing. In fact, um, when that all came together, uh, I was off and I got a call um, like a Friday afternoon saying I had to catch a plane Saturday morning to Charlotte. Uh, and we went out to Andre's ranch in Ellerby and cut all these interviews with him as one of the machines. Do you so remember I, his, uh, his handler, his, the person who took care of the, uh, uh, the ranch for him, Frenchie, who was, sure. yeah, Frenchie was also a referee down in Florida for yep. many, yep. many, many years. But I got a chance to, to spend a day, uh, you know, with Andre and Frenchie, you know, at the ranch. Uh, he had this huge outdoor covered, you know, weightlifting gym. But, you know, I remember after we were done with the interviews, we went into the living room, sat down and, and you know, visited. Um, and I mean, it, it was like you see in the cartoons, all his furniture was custom made. So I'm sitting on this chair in the living room and my it's so high that my feet are just dangling in the air. <laughs> well, I took pictures of him in the hotel room, it was at the uh, Edison Hotel in uh, New York. That's where the anger story uh, started. And actually it was not at the garden, it was pre-garden. I met him and Frank Valois at the hotel. And uh, I took a picture of him lying down on the bed and yeah, his feet just hung, oh. over the, uh, hung over the bed. But he, when times that I went out to dinner with him for breakfast, I mean, it would be like 9,000 portions. He always knew he was not going to live to an old age. And I remember that uh, uh, Frenchie told me that Andre's father had died and Andre was going back to uh, France, I believe it was, to her funeral. And Andre never made it back. You know, he died just a few days uh, after his father. The Andre that wrestled Hulk Hogan, when Hogan used to tell me, the stories of how Andre would give a lot in the matches and everything. And when Hogan went to slam him, you know, Andre didn't have to cooperate, mm -hmm. but he did. Uh, Hulk painted such a giving portrait of Andre that Andre was like that with opponents that he liked. We talked on our last show about Harley Race slamming him mm -hmm. as well, because Andre liked Harley Race. But when Vince McMahon Sr. gave him the the uh, moniker, the eighth wonder of the world. And when you talk about, uh, I had seen him uh, in Japan and it was amazing because he, he looked twice as high uh, in, in Japan because so many of the people back then in Japan were very, uh, they, they just looked so small next to Andre. He looked like Godzilla. Yeah, Ken, I, and when, so Andre turned heel in the WWF at that time when you were there. And, and before that, Andre was always a very popular wrestler. You know, he was always a face. He smiled, just looked happy, even if he wasn't. Was that hard on Andre to turn heel? Where Did you spend a lot of time with him during that, that time? And with, with You know, I, I did. We did uh, a lot of things when, you know, Bobby w was managing him, but it, it, it it wasn't anything, you know, I, I ever brought up or, or questioned and going back a little bit to what Bill was just, you know, saying, 
that, you know, Andre would like Harley was willing to work with young guys if they felt they respected the business. And, and I think that's one of the things that has changed a lot in the business in that the old school, you know, and I'm talking seventies, you know, eighties, even into early nineties, that the veterans, you know, title holders, had so much respect for the business and respect for those that had come before them or those they felt were going to be carrying the torch after they were out of the business that that it, it just played in the locker room that's how everyone you know learned the business and i i mean i remember when i first got in the awa not really with Andre, but along the same lines, from a Nick Bockwinkle, from a Bobby Heenan, from a Mad Dog, from a Crusher, just talking to them the way they would approach things, explain things, you could just see the respect they had for the business. And I think part of that is because of the way the business has, you know, switched over to more entertainment but i think a lot of that has gotten lost yeah i think andre though went along with the sports entertainment part of it you know in, in terms of when he turned uh when he turned bad guy i still use rule breaker and good guy like in the magazines but uh i think andre saw the change that was happening in the business there's a lot more levity uh going on and but i think that andre as a bad guy uh i saw him for years, you know, is that bad guy. But when he got outside and fans wanted autographs, if the police weren't, you know, just swishing everybody away, he would stand there and be nice to people and all that. He didn't play the bad guy outside of the uh, outside well, of the business. It, yeah, and, and Bill, I, I think, you know, Andre, whether he wanted to or, or not, you know, I can't speak to, but again, it was the respect that the promoters you know, they booked the shows. And if they, you know, if Vince said, I need you to turn heel, I think just the respect Andre had for the business, whether he liked it or not, he, you know, went along with it. And I think what you speak to about how he would still sign autographs, remember when all those guys, you know, came into the business and kind of began reaching the, the pinnacle of the business, that was before pay-per-views. Everything right. was dependent on fans buying a ticket for the house shows. And I think everyone, you know, in the, in the 60s, the 70s and 80s had so much respect for the fans because if the fans didn't come, they didn't get paid. Yeah. And I think that's one of the offshoots why even most of the heels, you know, outside of the building, if they would interact with fans, would, would be gracious because back in those days, the fans were the sole income of the business. Oh, sure. But you know what I hate? I hate that so many people that grew up in the Hulkamania era only know Andre as that huge Andre that was lumbering lumbering and his his uh his, his whole body was just killing him by that point and they don't remember uh the Andre of the the, 
the early Hogan matches like at Shea Stadium when Andre was, uh, Andre back in the day in Montreal, Andre could drop kick of wrestlers. I mean, he, he could, he was very athletic, but too many people remember Andre just for that thing that you see at the beginning of every WWE show here now forever is the Hogan slamming that big guy with the big girth there. And that's not how I want people to remember Andre the Giant. He used to bump, right? He used to bump and, and, he uh, he was like a big show, uh, early big show, where he would he would move around the ring, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, can I interrupt? You? Oh no, I I was just going to say, and part of that is because by the time television exploded or wrestling exploded on the television, the national cable deals, you know, the huge syndication deals. Andre was, you know, already on the on the downward side. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, in his heyday, which you know a lot of people have, have remember, or you you know, if you go back, you know, far enough on, on YouTube, there was very limited exposure other than you know just a local show or or the house show. Yeah, yeah, and he he rushed. I saw photograph matches of him against Harley, against uh, Ric Flair. I mean, he had. He, he was a really, really good competitor. And, and you know, when, when we're speaking about that, one of the things that continues to amaze me uh, when I, you know, go out or, you know, at conventions, uh, you know, and talk to a lot of younger wrestling fans, they, they know who Andre was and, you know, have, have seen, you know, limited clips. But for all the, the big, you know, men of wrestling, it amazes me how almost every young fan still knows and can talk about Bruiser Brody. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Far more so than they know Andre. Yeah. And yeah. You know, I, I, I can't give you an explanation, but that has always somewhat amazed me that of all the old time huge names, because he was just so, you know, uh, terrorizing, uh, even to fans, they, they just never knew what he might do. Everyone seems to know Frank Brody more so than Andre. Keep in mind that Andre was also one of the first wrestlers to go Hollywood. He was in the $6 million man as Bigfoot. And then, of course, that classic character in The Princess Bride, which when you mentioned to a non-wrestling fan, Andre the Giant. And did you see The Princess Bride? Oh, yes. Everybody saw that movie. He loved, we did a, uh, Theo Eret, who was our photographer out in California, did an incredible set of pictures of Andre at Disney World, uh, po- posing with Goofy and Mickey Mouse and all this stuff. And he, Andre had a real, even before sports entertainment, Andre had a real feel for show is and I remember when uh, we called the people behind the six million dollar man. Uh, if we could get pictures of that, Andre was thrilled to see those pictures on the cover of the magazine. Guys, uh, two more things before we uh, we end up running out of time here. He famously behind the scenes did not like John Studd, and you mentioned that him. And Harley, and by the way, Harley body slammed Andre the Giant. We talked about that last week. Go back and listen to our special on Harley Race and Bruno. Um, Andre, 
it doesn't seem to fit the part, I guess. John Studd doesn't seem like a guy that didn't respect the business. His son was in the business. He, he trained guys after he left the business. He seemed like he was a, a respecter of the business. So was. why didn't Andre like John Studd? Did it, was it gimmick infringement? I never heard that story, to be honest with you, because they had a lot. They had that whole body slam thing yeah. going on. So I never really heard that. I knew Stud when he first started. He was under his name of Chuck O'Connor at that point. Um, the Rifleman? No, that was Chuck Connors. Oh, Chuck. Dun, 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 dun. One of my favorite shows of all time. Hey, Paul. Uh, anyway, um, it's on uh, uh, MeTV. Look it up. Um, but no, I never heard that because Ken, I know the two of them were making money together. Were you so, familiar with that, Ken? Uh, I, I, I never saw anything or, or wasn't uh, aware of it. The only thing, you know, I can think of back, you know, in, in my time, uh, John Studd was really the only one from a physical size that could kind of challenge Andre's place, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so that would be the only thing, but uh, I agree with Bill. I mean, all the times I interacted uh, with John, uh, went to a, a big celebrity dinner with John. I mean, he had tremendous respect for he the sure did. business. Where, where did you hear this, Bruce? Uh, Bruce Pritchard. Really? Yeah. Well, Bruce knows what he said. Well, Bruce knows what he's talking about. So, wow. Yeah. Something, That's interesting. Something yeah. to wrestle, Bruce Pritchard. Uh, not not as popular as we are in India, but great podcast. We're getting there. We're getting there. But no, no, I didn't know that. And if Bruce said it, then then it had yeah. to be. And there was something that we don't know uh, about because that's not back in the days when I was shooting for the magazine and writing for the magazines. I didn't look for that kind of story that didn't interest me that's not what we reported in the you magazine. weren't a dirt sheet writer right Bill? no i was not people people uh yeah never mind i was gonna i was gonna go another episode i was gonna below the um listen uh andre's final appearance on tv was not with the wwf where he was very loyal to for years and years and years it was an interview with tony Schiavone outside of clash of champions 20 on tbs and I've heard stories that that hurt the soul of Vince McMahon to see Andre make that appearance on it TBS. Did. It did because Vince Sr. was the manager, actually, yeah. the Real booking life. agent of him. And it's just when you see someone who you've nurtured like as a child or whatever, uh, even if you'd give them permission to go ahead and do that, you'd want to hear that they don't want to do that. But uh, yeah, he, Andre wanted to do it. What, was that something, Bill, where it, he got a big pay? I mean, he didn't appear in the arena and he said maybe two words to Tony outside. Kind of like an interview with him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was just, it was just they, you know, that Andre was here. That makes it a bigger deal. Yeah, and that, that's when WCW was fighting to compete with WWE, of course. Very few people remember that. Yeah. Not WCW versus WWE. I'm talking about that Andre yeah. actually did that. 
Um, final thoughts on Andre the Giant, Ken Resnick, anything else that's uh, in your memory banks where uh, you had an interaction with Andre that the people might want to know about? No, I, I mean, uh, the people of India want to know about, you know, stick out was, you know, not a lot of people had, had the, you know, tremendous, you know, privilege of being able to spend time with him, you know, at his ranch and um, same thing. I remember, you know, when he would first come in to, to Mancini's, he would sign autographs, talk to the, you know, the, the people, this was before the cell phone cameras. And then once he got in the back, you know, kind of a back room, you know, he just kind of let his guard down. He was just, uh, one of the guys. And the only thing I can think of my thoughts regarding, uh, why he, he might've done that interview. I mean, more has come out and, and I talked about it, uh, I think last week, when Vince would bring in veterans, I think Vince, you know, showed his respect by the the uh, contracts or you know what he would pay. But you know, it's come out a little bit more and more. I mean, everyone knows the story how you know he agreed to that twenty year deal with Bret Hart, and then all of a sudden Vince is not uh, can't honor it. I, I think one of the reasons it, it people kind of realize that to a degree. Vince's loyalty was a little bit more of a one-way street that, you know, he wanted all your loyalty and he would be loyal to you as long as it behooved him to be loyal. But once he decided maybe he didn't need you, I think that loyalty kind of came to a, a, an end. And that may have been one of the things that it began yeah. to be common knowledge is that you know, uh, this big loyalty factor on Vince's side only goes so far. Right. Well, with Bret Hart, with Bret Hart, they were losing terribly in the ratings and he couldn't afford to pay Bret Hart what he had promised him. Yeah. I don't know what they said to sabotage. Kind of one of those things when, you know, you make an agreement with somebody and, you know, I want you, I need you, you're going to be with us for life. And I, no, I, can't, I can't afford you anymore, you know, goodbye. And, you know, that, you know what it was like, you know, back in those days that, you know, everybody kind of talked, you know, it, it was still a little bit of a brotherhood that, you know, things like that would have a way of getting out. So that might be the only thing I can think of where, you know, for a payday, Andre may have said, hey, you know, all I got to do is come there and talk to you outside for a minute. Yeah, I'll do that. Or perhaps he made he did it as a favor for one of the other guys. You know how the business yeah, is. Sure. You have a friend that's there. Come on, Andre. We just need you yeah, to see sure. you know. Bill, final thoughts on Andre the Giant. Anything? Why not? I remember backstage in Richmond, Virginia, uh, there was a little kid. He was probably, I don't know, five, six years old. And Andre saw him backstage. And the kid looked up at Andre. Andre said, come here. And Andre picked him up by his tuchus and just held him up like this. And I got a great shot for the magazine. Nice. Every time that kid walked anywhere in that hallway, Andre, come here. And he'd pick him up over and over again. That kid had the time of his life. I don't know whatever happened to him, but he was- That was Bruce. That's what it was. No, he was on the, he was on the cover of the, of the magazine. Uh, we did a story how this little boy uh, helped Andre win some match back then and all that. So if you're watching, let us know because I want <laughs> I want to see what's happened to you. That was probably in the uh, 
it was a Jim Crockett promotion. So it was probably in the late seventies, early eighties, but Andre was wonderful around children. He had, his heart was bigger than his body. Be yeah. after at onewrestling.com. Yeah. Yeah. Fine, Bill. Uh, guys, listen, great, great talk about Andre the Giant. Uh, great stories. I think this was uh, tremendous for all the, the people out there in India, China, and beyond that listen to this and show. The United, and and the, the United States, places like New York, Pennsylvania, Minnesota. Yeah. I'm just telling you where we're on the charts. Listen, before we get out of here, just because it's topical, real quick, two minutes. Uh, Ken Resnick, were you surprised? You're from Minnesota, just as uh, this other person spent a lot of time in Minnesota. And without your personal interactions, because we've talked about that before, were you surprised that Eric Bischoff was announced as a, the newest inductee of the WWE Hall of Fame? Very, very surprised. Um, there, you know, obviously there's something more behind it that I'm missing. Same feeling. Uh, I was surprised when I heard it. I was like, okay. I mean, that was, it wasn't Ted Turner. It was Eric Bischoff that was the competitor to WWE when WCW, when that Monday Night Wars were going on. Um, I was surprised too. So there's got to be something more behind it that we don't know of yet. Maybe he will come back as an authority. So who knows? But well, there's something behind it. He's um obviously he's close with uh, with Bruce Pritchard. We we know that they're in the the, uh, <coughs> the Conrad Thompson family of podcasts. But uh, it's it's strange a little bit because Eric was with. Um, he made some appearances with AEW for Tony, with uh, with Tony or for Tony Khan yeah. on TNT, and just interesting that to see Eric be uh, back in the good graces of WWE, and that's that's the old adage: anything can happen. You never say never in the business of professional wrestling, right? No, well, I'll tell you, Eric's appearance in AEW surprised a lot of people, but WWE doesn't. And this is going to sound strange; they don't recognize their tv that's not us that's professional wrestling we are an entertainment company so there you go well and we are here for you all of the uh the people out there that listen so whether it's our show uh in the room with pro wrestling illustrated's brady hicks and uh, former wcw star the maestro shelly martinez on shelly live briscoe and big ace with west briscoe my big break with jerry strauss Sassy Stephanie on Talking Sass, the No BS with the Bull Manny Fernandez. We are here for you to take you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. And we hope that we've done that today with the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant. Guys, next week, uh, there's a couple of things up in the air. I'm going to put out a poll on Twitter at VOC Nation. We'll give the fans a chance to pick our next topic. What do you think about that? I love it. I, ha I already have my my choice. I'm going to click Superstar Billy Graham. Superstar. Ken, do you have any nominations? We're, we're, I, fans get my vote, whatever they comment. Rolls with the punches. All right. For the wonderful Willie, the legend maker, and killer Ken Resnick, I'm going to ask you guys to send us out, as I always do. Go and ahead, I always defer to Bill after. Well, for the three of us, we'll see you 
eventually at the matches worldwide. Worldwide. Don't you dare miss it. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Right here is the future of wrestling.